The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And, you know, again, thanks you so much for joining us, our great audience. We've heard from you. Many of you have written to us, have provided feedback on our website, have commented, and that's what we like. You know, we need to, we want to hear from you, our listeners, about what's resonating about AI today and what's not. We're five years into AI Today podcast, 260-something episodes. So, you know, we, we, we'll never run out of things to say, but uh, we would much rather say the things that you want to hear. So <laughs> one of the things that we've heard from you is you definitely want to hear from others who have been down this journey of running AI projects and hear from them about their challenges, their successes, their pitfalls. We have certainly have interviewed many people on AI Today podcast from celebrities like Ben Gertzel and Colin Angle from iRobot and people like that, and lots of C-levels from enterprises as well as government agencies. But I think um, what we've heard is many of you want to hear from people that are not celebrities, people who are more like yourselves, who are trying to put AI into a practice and do it right, maybe hear from folks who have, have had some struggles too. And so that's why we are really pleased to be interviewing uh, folks like yourselves on our AI Today podcast, we have a great interview for you planned today. Exactly. So, you know, if you are interested in reaching out, we encourage you to do so. We always ask for your feedback. You can email us at info at cognolytica.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com to share feedback on episodes, what you'd like to hear more of. But with that, we did take your uh, you know, points into consideration, and we wanted to make sure that we were interviewing people who are CPMAI certified and have been putting this into practice so you can hear from others about how they're doing it. We're so excited to have with us today Charles Mendoza, who is the Senior Director, Operational Analytics and Data Science at Maximus. Charles is also CPMAI, CPMAI certified, and Maximus is an official silver level CPMAI partner, which means that they have put a number of folks through CPMAI and really believe in the methodology. So welcome, Charles, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Kathleen. Excited. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Maximus. Sure, sure. So um, as Kathleen was saying, I, I, in title, I'm the Senior Director of Operational Analytics and Data Science. Um, I oversee a large organization of uh, BI practitioners and data scientists, and we cover a, uh, an array of um of analytical practices or service lines that really, if if you started on the left, that's really like the BI historical data analytics components. And if you slide that scale to the right, it advances into the domain of data science, where we apply uh, things like AI and machine learning to solve problems. And from 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 a corporate perspective, uh, before I got to, to Maximus, I also had a career in business intelligence. So my foundation is in. Um, business intelligence, data analytics, and that kind of grew over time over the past uh, 15, 16 years. And I, that how that's transformed, it, well, from my experience, what's what's happened is I've transformed, matured my understanding of BI and then transformed to move into data science. And so I took a few steps academically to do that um, along with the journey of how my career has evolved over time. So 
I moved into graduate school some time ago, several years back, and I'm also finishing a PhD in computer science, um, doing a lot of research in machine learning, and uh, hopefully taking some of what I've learned and applying it, uh, learned academically and applying it to the real world on a day-to-day -day basis. That's currently going on now with some of the projects we're doing at Maximus. Well, fantastic. And uh, I know that the more we interact and uh, talk to the folks at Maximus as you're putting uh, quite a few people through uh, CPMA methodology, we're learning a lot about sort of the, the, the range of the scope of the projects you're working on and many of the, the clients that you're working with, some pretty significant ones across some really key industries. Uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar, uh, CPMAI is the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology. It's an agile methodology based on CRISPDM that is focused on implementation of AI projects that provides a stepwise approach to uh, running and managing AI projects, starting from business understanding and working your way through data understanding, data prep, uh, data modeling, model and uh, evaluation, and then model operationalization, who provides uh, as part of what we do with CPMAI, it's a combined certification and training. So it provides both the certification on the methodology, which is good uh, for a lifetime for that version of CPMAI, uh, as well as the education to, to get there. So it's something we've been iterating on quite a bit. Um, and so, as we know, it's building up quite a bit of interest across many different industries and domains. So we'll get into a little more of that in a bit. But first, really want to hear a little more about some of the challenges uh, that you run into in terms of managing AI projects, as well as advanced data projects being in focus on operational analytics. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with something. Well, the, the answer is really data. That's I think that's the biggest challenge. But I want to start with something that's a little bit more before we even get to the point of managing data and projects, which is one of the difficulties I have managing the project is actually creating the project in the first place. So getting it off the ground. And um, so at Maximus, for example, there's a lot of problems that we can solve with AI, but, and I, I'm, I'm sure that this is, this resonates with other people who are at companies that are not the big tech or at the leading edge of, of um, AI and ML research, where they're just, uh, they're a company that's doing, they've, they've got a, a business model that's doing well and they want to solve problems, but maybe AI isn't something they've brought on as a, um, as a core competency, or maybe they're not just ready to uh, experience um, solving problems using some of those capabilities and just having general BI tools make sense. And getting that is one of the difficulties I am having is before managing a project is getting buy-in into how these insights actually can create efficiencies. And one of the examples are things like um, in in the in the QA realm for call centers, um, getting efficiencies um, is it seems very natural when you can use uh, a ML model to traverse through the calls and look at the transcriptions and, and do some topic bonding to give us insight into what's going on so we can have our QA approach be a little bit better. Um, but getting buy-in into that, um, there are some, it's it's foreign to some people if they haven't been exposed to how the machine works and that having, uh, that the machine doesn't have to be 100% accurate to get the right insight. So getting some of those, getting that understanding and buy-in, um, forming those partnerships, I think is, um, is is key and that's that's difficult in itself if it has not been a core competency of the company that you're at and you're trying to be a pioneer of that um, moving forward and then of course the real the real issue in my opinion is uh data <laughs> that's the difficulty so we've got 
the scope schedule resource the golden triangle but then um you start you start on your way you're in the car moving and then all of a sudden there's this hiccup because the date something happened in the data whatever that is and all of a sudden the tires are flat on your car so in in our case it's specifically around battling security and privacy measures around PA and PII so for example um we wanted to do something where what if we can predict like whether a uh, an engagement is going to be um, uh, be uh, run sour like with a client for example is there communications back and forth that can signal that that might happen well <laughs> no one wants the machine to read your email so you know that project that was a that was a pitch and that was promptly stopped there's some privacy and security and there are other there are other um areas where you know we want to do market segmentation on certain things maybe it's working with a client and there's publicly available information but you can only go so far and what do you need to really complete the 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 segmentation effort you probably need some information that is unique to the people that you're surveying and so again that's another hard blocker where it's hard to convince someone um, especially private security personnel that that data is actually needed to, uh, you know, that I actually have a, a significant value add, which we all know, I think as data scientists, there's a significant amount of value when we can see that data and then cross-reference it with other, other parts of pieces of publicly um, uh, available data that we have. But from a security perspective, we just can't get around some of those measures in certain cases. So that puts a, a deliberate block on, on how we can move forward. You know, I loved the examples that you shared and some of the real world problems that you're facing because it, these problems are not unique to just you and your team and your organization. They really do span, you know, uh, many organizations with these problems. I mean, you know, getting buy-in, data challenges, which yes, of course. And so when you are following best practices methodologies like CPMAI, you don't get too far down a project before you realize, okay, do I have the data that I need? Do I have access to that data? Is it in the, you know, the state that I need it to be, uh, the quality that I need? And also, uh, you know, it's interesting when we talk about some of the other challenges that we face because we, we have our uh, AI failure series that we did on one of our podcasts podcast series. And we talk about some of these common reasons. One major reason is data quality issues. Another major reason is data quantity issues. And so we do need to make sure that we're addressing this. How have you, you know, seen the CPMAI methodology? How has it helped you manage and run data and AI projects specifically? Yeah. So it, uh, in short, I'll elaborate, but in short, it overcomes a bit of the first challenge that I just shared, where um, being a pioneer of AI projects, if if uh, if we share by sharing CPMI at Maximus, we've got more of a foundational understanding. And so, to, to elaborate on that, it, within our own organization, it creates consistency. So, uh, I'm a part of a group that's larger than just data science or operational analytics. It's my, my group is actually just a service line within a larger group called performance analytics that provides other analytical service lines. Um, our uh, services to um, our, our organization. And not all of those require um, tools within the realm of AI and ML. They, 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 it could just be, can I have a dashboard or let me just look at some data to come up with some sort of understanding and that's enough. 
that's that's what the business problem requires. They just need to do a small amount of analysis, and uh, they deliver that. But um, the CPMI methodologies help, and we we do this. We are we're actively doing this now within our group to get all of the leadership um, certified with CPMI, so we have that consistency. So those non-technical folks that are not in my specific data science team, they're in another uh, uh, branch of our group of our performance analytics group. Um, the methodologies help those non-technical people understand the foundation of how an AI project functions, um, specifically about the components at different stages. So I think most of the performance analytics group, the broader one that I'm a, a part of, um, understands what the SDLC looks like. Everyone kind of knows you start with, there's an initial phase, you do some analysis, you develop some software, you test it, you end up deploying it. Well, um, the CPMI actually uses, um, I think, in my opinion, I think it relates a lot of those principles to um, really easily to a non-technical audience that uh, enables them to resonate with uh, how an AI project should be run by understanding some of the things they've already been exposed to. And so just like some of the small differences of how we think of um, uh, pre-processing versus like ETL. Uh, some of those concepts really stick with people who haven't ex been exposed because pre-processing to someone who doesn't understand what the project uh, lifecycle looks like, to them, it sounds like ETL. And so um, getting that consistency um, allow has allowed us to um, more easily convey how the project, what the, a particular project that, I, that my team might be running, um, more easily convey what's needed what the how, how we're going to achieve it what are the steps that are going through we don't have to explain some of why do you have what is training a model you know we you guys cover that in in the series and so someone who's not technical when i just say some of these terms oh you know we have to retrain the model um you know like for we 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 um have this model we have for topic modeling and it's um a bunch of calls at a particular um call center and we want to use that same model for something else we would have to retrain it that's part of the that's going to be part of the the pipeline of work that we've got to accomplish i, I can just casually speak like that and there's some understanding uh, given uh what's been going on they understand how um you have a model can isn't just a stagnant thing that just sits there and part of the effort in estimating the um the total cost of a project that we're putting into it is how much does a data scientist have to spend and getting that model ready for the next problem it's trying to solve, AKA retraining it, getting the data ready in the next um, iteration of that. So I hope that makes sense. Um, and it's definitely helped us out uh, um, uh, to get consistency within an organization, organization. And then for those who are external to us, it's also helped um, uh, open some eyes around how AI can help. So getting that uh, in my in my initial answer to one of your questions about running uh, data and AI projects, we're able to get more buy-in because that, that we're, it's like a culture-changing thing where if we're going to pioneer AI, having someone else pre-exposed to it before I come and say, hey, I'm going to sell you this idea on AI, they've had some exposure. And if I'm using some of the terms and, and ideas that they've already been exposed to, exposed to that conversation becomes much easier. And so there's um, uh, more likelihood for buy-in. From the beginning on a new AI project. Well, well, that's fantastic, and and I know that even simply just level setting and terminology, just getting everybody on the same page with with terminology as basic as that might sound, really goes a long way. Especially with people may have different understandings of various different topics that you might think people 
shouldn't know common understanding. And that can lead to problems. And people say, oh, I assumed that when you said model training, that meant this. And you're like, no, no, that's not included in model training. That might be data preparation, or that may be data engineering, or that might be some other thing that's globally part of it. Or maybe they thought something else, right? Who knows what people think, right? Um, and and to a certain extent, it's part because the industry doesn't always do a good job of you know having a single definition for a lot of things. So sometimes just saying, well, look, um, you know, we've all been through CPMAI, so at least we have a common language through that mechanism. That is, that's a useful thing. And a lot of a lot of certifications, whether it's you know any project management certification or technology certification, could be a vendor certification. You know, these things are helpful if and only if it's like, okay, I know I'm using the same words you're using and they mean the same thing. So it's very helpful. Of course, also following the practices is, is really useful as well. And you mentioned that um, just now. So really thankful that you, you talked about that. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about skills because this actually does connect to it. And it's and I know that one of the challenges that we see is because you also have a data science role and people talk about you know the challenge in hiring data scientists and finding data scientists and the skills. So you know how are you seeing you know uh, you know how certification or CPMAI or just in general you know how how is this helping grow key skills within your organization and for yourself and as an individual, but also for a team. Yeah, yeah. So, um, with with my group, and this is anecdotal. Um, you know, I understand. You know, there's definitely a wide audience, and so um, your mileage may vary. But uh, with what I've what I've experienced with the data scientists that I've interacted with, whether ones that I've hired or just interacted, uh, not necessarily in, in Maximus, is um, a lot of the data science problems. Um, and I use the word data science interchangeably with AI ML because at Maximus with the team that I have calling it data science, we, which we, we try to evangelize it with data science. It's a softer, it's a softer landing pad, uh, shoving AI and ML, which is a buzzword that maybe some people may or may not understand. It's a little bit intimidating. So just from a, uh, just from a conversation perspective, but um, so with, with, with data science, um, the data scientists, sorry, they have, they're really good at solving problems. They understand, hey, I've got a problem and I think I know uh, an algorithm that I can put together to solve it. Let me just look at the data and see if I can get the data right. They, they put it together, they code it, and then bam, they've got, a, they've got a model that predicts something or gives me insight on the business problem and they move forward. And one of the things that we've been trying to um, change culturally within the team is when we started, that was basically it. It was just a lot of ad hoc um, problems that got thrown our way, they solved them. It was great. Thumbs up. They moved on to the next one. And what was really missing is a rigid framework that uh, actually created efficiency, not just in the dev cycle, but efficiency in the way that whatever problem they solved and the things that they did to solve it could actually just be reused to create scale and solve more problems using what we already did. And I think going through the certification has helped people think um, in that way, such that uh, the not, we're not just focused on solving one problem at a time ad hoc. It's if you keep asking for these ad hoc problems, let's actually collect the set of problems that um, you are having or the set of business questions you have, and then try to figure out um, how we could 
create a solution that scales to solve as many of those problems in one fell swoop as possible. And so that's just, that's a principle, I think, from just developing software. But again, there's, there's a lot of information in the CPMI certification that resonates with principles from software development by and also injecting the specificity of data science and AI and ML and and thinking about how I can take something that's new in the AI and ML space and then create scale around it the way that I would build any other software platform. Just um, just advocating for that level of thinking, I think for the data science team, especially the data science manager who's taking this, this uh, course, uh, we've been operating that way. And that's, we are on a current roadmap to operationalize um, our topic and sentiment product model as, as products in a way. And that's that that was kind of the, the um, maturity that CPMI helped us to get towards by thinking in that manner, thinking about scale and providing rigor around how to, how to gain that efficiency that allows us to do that instead of just solving one problem at a time. That's great to hear because it's one thing, you know, for us to share, uh, you know, how CPMAI should be used with best practices, but it's really great to hear how folks who are CPMAI certified are actually adopting it at their organization. Because every organization, you know, while there's many similarities, uh, there can be, you know, nuances at your organizations. And so you need to learn how to navigate that. And I liked how, you know, you said that at your organization, you found that data science is a softer landing pad than AI and ML. So you group it in that same category to help get the buy-in that's needed. And I think that these little nuggets can help resonate with others as well, with listeners who are saying, you know, maybe that would help at my organization as well. And so how do, how do others go about and do that? At Cognolytica, we are big advocates of learning from not just, you know, uh, successes, but also failures as well, or just, you know, lessons learned along the way so that others don't necessarily need to make those same mistakes um, or have reached some of those stumbling blocks that maybe you did as you were, you know, implementing projects. So can you share with our listeners what insights and lessons learned can you share from your organization when you're looking to run AI projects, maybe, you know, what were some of the insights, the lessons learned, things that maybe you wished you had known beforehand, um, and how, how uh, you know, did you go about approaching and addressing them? Yeah. So I, I, I'll begin with like a cliche, but I think it's, I think it's applicable, which is definitely the, there is a theme. I've actually repeated it in the previous questions, but organizational leadership buy-in, especially if you're in an organization that has not been um, real really data science forward or ai ml forward they 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 know they understand that we got to take a next step in maturity but getting buy-in will help um launch more projects it's it's just easier to just fundamentally get things like funding get get the resource to actually do a proof of concept um but outside of that which is that that should be common sense i i think in many cases for many projects but uh, more specifically in a situation where you're still pioneering the the idea of ai and ml at the organization that you're at uh, getting the buy-in and getting them exposed to something that is new and uh, getting them comfortable and understanding how that how this is going to change um uh, or significantly optimize the operation and how it's going to change things at the way we analyze data Getting that buy-in, I think, is number one. Now, um, with that said, 
uh, I think before you're starting a project, just be prepared to spend a lot of time, energy, and research in the initial phase. Um, the pre-processing is like 80% of it, but which I think we all know. But in my opinion, um, when, when I compare like a, a business intelligence project where I need to create a database, create a dashboard, do some ETL to move data, there's of course some time in the initial phase. But what I what happens in there is very mechanical. I feel like as an ETL developer, I know I got to move data from left to right and I have some transformations. And then as a BI developer, I know that they want to see, maybe I have a wireframe already and um, I know that I'm going to create a dashboard. It's going to have a filter up here and a chart down here. And I know what the metrics and dimensions are because we've already kind of predefined them. I think in a, especially in a new data science project or AI and ML project, um, a lot of that is ab much more abstract. And so you're going to have to spend a lot more time thinking about different possibilities. It's not a, it's not as nice and rigid as a, as a software development or BI project where we have a lot of confined uh, or predetermined details that are easy to work with. There's still, I'm not saying that you don't have to think if you're an ETL developer, that's, that's far from the, from the truth. But as a data scientist, I, I think these, these projects become um, much more complex from the beginning because I not just have to think about what model I need to uh, apply, but I might have to research some nuances in the data and do a significant amount of just data analysis on top of any other business analysis or systems analysis that would have had to existed, just like any other software development project. So that set of analysis, I think, is much more mentally draining, much more mentally um, time consuming than analyzing a source of data and moving that to become a, a business intelligence object because there's there, there there's a lot of abstract um, understanding I need to know before I can even say that a model is going to work. So there might be a pattern that might shift the complete thinking of what my initial approach was. I got to find some of those in the initial stage. So just be prepared to spend a lot of time, energy, and research in that initial phase. And then finally, and this is just something I've always done, is with any project, if you've got a business stakeholder, um, bring them along and incrementally, as you incrementally develop on whatever the business problem is and whether, whatever the solution is, the business stakeholder should be alongside with you um, the whole time, the whole journey. And that's just one of those things. If you're, especially if you're in the stage where we are, where we're pioneering uh, um, AI and ML in the organization and showing the possibility. Um, if you're in a project and there's a business stakeholder interested in it, you gotta, you gotta use that to your advantage and, um, um, give them, expose them to what you're doing. So they have a more foundational understanding of, of how that happens. And then they become your, your, your microphone, your, you know, your, your evangelist for the next project you're going to be working on. Yeah, it's incredibly important. I think people underestimate, I guess is the best word for it. They underestimate the cultural and organizational component of making any project work, whether it's AI or not AI, you know, anything that, that, that has risk, anything that requires investment, anything that's going to be strategic, anything that will uh, you know, require a change to the way things work. Maybe people are not so familiar with is not the, doing the same thing over and over again. 
these all have, yes, there's a technology component to all of them. There's a methodology component. There's a people skills component, but there's a large cultural component to making a lot of this work. And um, especially with people have all sorts of things going on in their head with, with regards to AI and data, data and machine learning. Uh, there's unfortunately not as, as much uh, data literacy, you know, just in terms of understanding the, the challenges of working with data and trying to derive insights. So this is really very, really very good to hear this. And uh, again, I don't think people are hearing anything that they, you know, that might be unusual. They're like, oh, I didn't, but, but like, I think they may not realize that, that how common these issues are and hearing them from you might be really you know, reinforcing some of the things they may have thought was like, well, maybe that's just the way my organization works. I know we had an interview recently, or we were talking to someone on the phone, uh, some healthcare institution, and they were talking about how how messed up their um, data systems are, and, and how disconnected they are, and how unclean they were. And and this person whose role was a chief data officer, they're saying, well, I can't really work in an organization like that. They actually were looking to to leave. Actually, they may have even left because they said, well, I can't I I can't perform my job function you know, in an organization where, where things are just so messed up and we're like, are you certain that's not really the way that most organizations <laughs> are? And to find the organization that's not messed up, you may actually be coming in too late. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it sounds, sounds like you're all working through it. So it's part of the normal, I think, are the the, the challenges that, that you have there. I don't know if you wanted to add to that, but uh, that, that's yeah. what we're hearing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had um, a previous um, colleague in uh, data science, a data science manager that uh, he made a comment uh, where he said, and, and and as a data scientist himself, he said, data scientists just want to sit down and have the data served on a platter and just solve the problem. And sometimes we forget that most of it, is, like it's no, in, in an academic setting, it's very easy. Or if I get on Kaggle and get a data set, it's just right there. It's so easy. That's bam. <laughs> here's here here's the solution. And uh, especially academically, if you if you're um, in at the undergrad or graduate level and haven't worked in the industry, and then you get to the organization, you're like, well, what is this? I I what do you what do you mean? I have the, the data. What, where's the data? Why why is it that the, there's data over here and and then there's data over here and they don't talk to each other or wait. So why is it that these two systems don't what like they're, they're not, or, or maybe the company, which is very common, they buy a vendor and then, and then they have that, that piece of software that has kind of a proprietary way of storing data and they never integrated with anything because it worked for that. And all these common things, I, I agree that if you came to a place that was, that was uh, all buttoned up, you're, you're coming in too late. I, I, my expectation is if you're creating this, this kind of a role for any organizations thinking about analytics, you, you're going to have part of the problem is going to be, how do I solve the issue of getting the data that I need uh, from all these disparate sources or applications? Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is my personal background, but you know, even prior to Cognolytica, I was very much involved in the enterprise architecture world. And it's kind of funny. We're seeing a bit of a resurgence in the, uh, the very wonky and uh, esoteric world of enterprise architecture and data architecture. And, uh, you know, people, you know, there's, there's a lot of value to data scientists and folks who work in BI, but there's a lot of value in, in basically having systems of, of design that are not vendor specific, where you could say, okay, I have a way of, of, of designing 
our data architecture, our system such that even when I plug in a new vendor or I have a legacy vendor or building stuff ourselves, we have some construct, some representation. It's not a, it's not a methodology. Architecture is a framework and a design. You know, it's like design, right? Uh, at some point, you have to get people to build systems that, you know, <coughs> work with architecture and don't mess things up. But, uh, um, you know, we're starting to see a resurgence and all that's kind of interesting. And, and there's never been a lot of love for architects in the IT space. It seems to be a space of, uh, of pe people who like to draw and design and <laughs> put things in charts on walls, but there's, there's sort of reason for, uh, for that. So actually, you know, uh, this has, this has been great so far. We could probably talk for hours. We probably will. We might have you back on a future podcast if uh, you're up for it. Sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> would be great. And, you know, for those of you who are, who are hearing about maybe CPMAI for the first time, and yes, I know we're spending a lot of time talking about it. And of course, yes, we have a lot of reasons why we're talking about it, but, but there is a reason for it. As mentioned, we are, we're dealing with the fact that there's a high level of of failure in AI projects. We're trying to provide, uh, be part of the solution, not be more of the problem. So uh, you know, that's part of where CPMAI methodology comes from. It's CPMAI itself has been around since 2017, 2018. It's been around for many years. And uh, for those of you that are interested in learning more, you can attend some of our free webinars where we uh, provide an introduction to CPMAI. If you want to attend one of those webinars, I know some of you may be listening to this in the future, you know, we're recording this in June of 2022, but uh, you may be listening to this in 2023. So I don't know. Tell us how the future is because 2022 is a little bit of an interesting year. But <laughs> uh, if you're interested in, in coming to our webinar, go to cognolitica.com slash CPMAI. That's C-O-G-N-I-L. Actually, it's uh, you can go to cognolitica.com slash CPMAI to learn about the methodology. C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com slash CPMAI, but you can also come to one of our webinars for our AI Today listeners at aitoday.live slash CPMAI, and that will take you right to either a recent webinar that's been recorded or a live one where you can interact with us and ask questions. So uh, on that. So um, honestly, we always end our, our interview podcast with the same question for all of our interviewees. We've been doing this now for the last five years. So we will ask you the big question and get your response, which is, as a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its applications to organizations and beyond? Uh, is artificial general intelligence a valid answer? <laughs> that I, you know, that, that's that's mostly a joke, but I am interested in that. I, I I don't have any opportunity. I've never had an opportunity to do any research in that realm, but that would be that would be nice. Uh, maybe that's what I should have picked as part of a dissertation. But but uh, in all seriousness, I think I think there's definitely a pattern with um, and ML uh, similar to business intelligence where. Uh, self bi self service it was and is still is still a thing i think um, you get more efficiency when you're a bi organization that um, enables users to self-serve some of their analytical questions and i think part of the future is uh, in a similar way um, a citizen data scientist and there are tools that uh, exist now uh, whether it's good or not that's that's another debate but it enables a person who has not been exposed to anything AI and ML related and take a problem, take a set of data, apply that set of capability to it. I'm being very general here because some of these tools are actually pretty extravagant, but they 
you can apply that and get the, get the prediction, get the solution, get whatever result you were looking for without knowing um, anything about how the process works. And that's kind of powerful. It's, you know, you kind of know enough to get in trouble, but uh, I think that's going to enable, and along with the theme of getting people to buy in who, if you're in an organization that hasn't fully bought on to how AI and ML work or can work for the organization, having these kind of citizen data scientists, and as that evolves over time, I think that'll allow us to more embed um, uh, AI as a core function in app, you know, uh, uh, enterprise applications or just general problem solving from an analytics perspective. So. It, it, you see this evolution where uh, we're comfortable with making decisions because more people are exposed to um, how AI and ML works through some of the tools that allow them to be these, these citizen data scientists. And you don't have to be a theoretical mathematician. Um, you know, I, 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 I remember uh, doing in a class where um, if you do, and I can't remember the exact the exact equation, but I remember taking the integral of the function, and the derivative of the function, setting it to zero to find the hyperparameters. I, I might be off because I can't remember that. I haven't touched that in several years, but yeah. And I remember going through, and I had to solve the problem, and you know, my my problem was like this long, and you know, the function was ridiculous, and that was my class, and I don't remember anything uh, except it was part of a you know, uh, business analytics, data science curriculum at a university. And uh, I don't need to know that to solve <laughs> some of these problems. And I think that empowers uh, some of the non-technical folks to actually um, do some more deeper analysis and get some results that apply to their business. Yeah. N- nothing like learning the hard way how to do gradient descent, which is what it sounds like you're talking about. Or yeah. Just- find the uh, limiting function Ma- maximum likelihood method that's what it was there you go yeah, there yeah. You mlm go. yeah set it to zero and then fi- yeah anyway i yeah. mean i mean you know uh <laughs> sometimes if people want to know how the result got uh you know uh, you know how something arrived at its result then then you may have to get into the math but a lot of times people are just happy with sort of like the magic i can tell you there's a lot of things that we do the tools that we use that are magical like that. Like we use a graphics design tool and I'm like, you know, if I probably thought probably could do the design using their thing, but Hey, I I only got five minutes. I can pull something together and it works just fine. And that sounds like a lot of what we're talking about here. Sometimes you just need to get to the results and it's like, we don't have time necessarily to do it from the lowest levels, but these magical tools will help us get there. So that's an interesting vision for the future. I love it. It's a very analytics uh, perspective on this question because we literally get every answer to this final question. And it's really nice to have one from the perspective of, well, let's just talk about what the future looks like for people who are in their analytics role and what AI means to them. So, so it means more automated stuff that can do stuff uh, more quickly. I like, like, like to hear that. Yes. And Charles, we want to thank you so much for this interview today and listeners for giving us feedback on what you're interested in hearing more of. So we're definitely listening to what you'd like to hear. And that included hearing more from folks that are CPMAI certified. So Charles, again, thank you so much for this interview today. Uh, Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was, this was definitely fun. I appreciate it. And listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. As I mentioned earlier, please make sure to subscribe to AI Today so that you can't 
you can get notified of all of our future episodes that we have coming up. We will have a few additional interviews with others who are CPMAI certified professionals so they can share their experiences with CPMAI, how it's been implemented at their organization and how it's benefited themselves in their career. We'll also be revisiting the AI failure series, a few additional, uh, you know, a few of the topics that we really want to dig a little bit deeper into one of them in particular over-promising and under-delivering on AI projects. We'll also talk about how scoping, how to scope AI projects the right way, applying different, uh, you know, uh, data-centric methodologies like CRISP-DM to AI and big data projects. And of course, we'll focus more on CPMAI, the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology. As Ron mentioned earlier, if you're interested in joining any of our upcoming free webinars, to learn more about what CPMAI is all about and how it can benefit you at your organization and also you in general to help enhance your career, please make sure to register for our free upcoming webinars. We said that we're doing this on a rolling basis. So no matter when you join, you'll be able to register for the next upcoming one. That can be found at aitoday.live slash cpmai. Again, that's aitoday.live slash cpmai. And with that, I'd like to, again, thank Charles so much for this podcast and all his great insights that he shared. We really enjoyed this conversation. I'd like to thank you listeners for sticking around with us until the end. And please make sure to rate this episode and our podcast in general on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We really do appreciate your ratings and your love. So thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.